Yeah, and firstly, I just want to say welcome, and I'm glad you guys are here. Um, if you weren't here, I would be sitting here alone in an empty room, and I would feel very lonely and dejected. So it's at least nice to be sitting together with people. Um, I'm currently in the middle of a move, so moving from one place to the other, like literally in the middle. So the van that we came in is filled with furniture and stuff. So it's kind of in between moving stuff. We just drove here to do meditation, then drive back and unload it. So literally in the move, in, in the in the middle. And um, and moving is very interesting for many different reasons. Um, I think one of the basic ones is that your home is your energetic grounding. It's your center. It's a place where you feel stable and comfortable and secure and where you can kind of build your, yourself up a little bit. And when you're moving, it's kind of like for that time, you're, you're not really grounded anywhere. You're kind of in this weird middle place um, where on one hand, there's this process of letting go, of saying goodbye, of, of leaving something. And simultaneously, you're kind of getting to this new place of creating and manifesting and, and building and growing, you know. So, you know, when you're moving, one of the really important things you also see is all the stuff that I have. And you have to kind of go through that stuff and say, am I keeping this stuff? Is this stuff continuing with me or not? Is this, am I taking this stuff to the new place or is that stuff being left behind? And, um, and I actually gave, I also do energy healing and I gave a healing last night in Salem, New Hampshire. There was 50 people laying around and I was 50 people and then afterwards I, I spoke to them. And um, the thing that I kind of was saying to them was about how one of the things I said, when you want to create something in your life, you have to really first create the space for that new thing. You have to let go. Um, letting go is a, is a space creator. It's actually freedom in a sense. But also it's a space creator. So when I was in India, um, I was traveling through India, and something that I realized is I'd be in a place and it'd be a really nice place and I'd have many friends and it would feel really good. And then I'd be ready to move on to the next place. And to say goodbye to the first place was really difficult. Um, because you're leaving something that's familiar, something that feels nice. And you're transitioning to the unknown. Um, so this is also the same with, with loss, things like loss. Um, that there's something that's there, and then you're, you're transitioning to a state that it's not going to be there anymore. And every time when I was traveling through India, I made one of these transitions. I realized that it felt like I was going into the void and that I didn't know what would be there and, and where I was going. But actually, I continuously found myself arriving in a place that was really beautiful and suiting for me. And it was almost this feeling that if you're holding on to a bunch of stuff from the past, you know why you picked it up, right? It's like, I'm thirsty, so I pick up this water bottle, right? And then I need to make a call, so I pick up this phone. But what if I had like a thousand arms? And because I only have two arms, you know, we're really good at picking something up, using it, and putting it down. But if I had like a thousand arms, I'd pick the water bottle up. Maybe I would just hold it in one of my arms. And maybe another arm would pick up the phone and just kind of hold it. Right? And if another arm would pick up... So I would have all these arms, and maybe 800 of them would be filled with stuff. 
even maybe 998 would have been filled with stuff, and I would have two free. But most of the arms would be full of stuff. And if then, you know, I walked into the supermarket and I saw a bunch of oranges on sale, maybe I wanted five oranges, you know, I would only have room for two of those oranges and the other hands were full of other stuff that I had picked up. So this is kind of what we're doing in our minds all the time, is that there's a lot of stuff that we're holding on to, memories, uh, character traits, who we are, my story, who I identify myself with, who others identify me with, right? I just saw Michael Jackson, an old Michael Jackson video from one of the, I think, MTV Music Awards. And he gave a speech on stage and he said, a lot of people see me as a personality, but they don't see me as a person. And this idea that we relate to each other and to people as personalities, but maybe forget that there's an actual person under there that is possibly completely different than that personality. And maybe that personality served a purpose at one point, but it doesn't anymore, and it's hard for us to change. It's also why there's this saying that you can't be a prophet in your hometown, right? I'm working on it, but it's hard, right? Because you, you go out and you get this training, and then you go back home, and people still see you. I just actually got a message from a woman who I teach meditation to her kids, and she's helping me. And she just wrote me a little message on the phone that said she's standing with the mother of one of my friends from high school. And I'm just imagining what that talk must be like, that, you know, the one is talking about Seth Monk, the meditator, and the other one is talking about, you know, Seth, the guy that shot fireworks out of his car sunroof at her son, you know, and how those pieces don't fit, but they're both equally true. And I, for myself, I see, for me, moving is really easy. So Shannon was saying to me, usually when she's around people that are moving, they're kind of crazy, but that I'm pretty okay with it. And I see for myself, I've had to kind of reinvent my life a few times already, I've had to a few times drop, you know, Seth, the, the art student, and I became Seth the monk. And then I had to kind of dress, drop, you know, Seth the monk and become, I don't know what I am now. Seth, like, kind of monk, kind of not. Yeah. When I, when I actually went to start teaching this class, the woman at the office, she looked at me, she's like, it's interesting. Because you... She, she's like, you're a monk, but you look like a rapper and you talk like a businessman. <laughs> and I kind of said, like, that's probably one of the best descriptions anyone ever, you know. Like, that's, pretty, that's pretty spot on, you know. But that understanding that, you know, we're multifaceted. There's a lot, we're, we're, we're a varied being. There's lots of parts of us, right? And um, so when I was in India and I was kind of in this place and it was really beautiful and I had to move on, it was scary, I didn't know what was coming... But I just dropped that and I jumped into, the, and jumped into the void, into this unknown emptiness. I freed myself up to allow something new to come in. And I started doing this more and more and more until I realized that every goodbye is also a hello. That every time you let go of something, you're actually creating the space to bring in the next thing. And I found for myself that this really makes me in general also feel much lighter, more buoyant, more joyful in my life. A lot of people that I know that have more of like a positive energy, a lot of the spiritual masters that I've met, they have this interesting lightness and this buoyancy. You know, I've, I've met the Dalai Lama a whole bunch of times, and I spent a couple months with Thich Nhat Hanh and Achen Brahm, different teachers. And they're all, as much as they're serious about what they do, um, they're probably, you know, the most serious people I know in some way in terms of they really know the importance of their work. 
they're also really the most joyful and lighthearted people. Um, when I was staying with this monk, Achim Brahm, in Australia, we would have tea time every afternoon. He was an English monk, so we had tea time at the monastery, and the only rule is that you're not allowed to talk about practice. So pretty much we would just sit there and we would just tell jokes. And if it got really boring, then we would crumple up uh, tissues and try to throw them in each other's spittoons. And this is like and one of the most serious, you know, strictest monasteries I've ever been in. You know, you, you only eat you breakfast at 5 and then at 11 and then you don't eat for the rest of the day and you're alone in your hut the whole day. So very strict and structured. But the time that you spend with this, the master of that temple, it's like how much can we chill out and have fun together? to decompress, to really let go, to be serious but not take ourselves too seriously. And I think life in general, it's a lot about that. It's really learning how to let things go, how to let things flow, um, and how to, to be serious, right? But not to have to take things and not to take yourself too seriously, right? Um, I think I heard the saying once, it was, you know, don't take life too seriously, you'll never make it out alive, you know? And uh, yeah, that's kind of it. Because at the end, we're also we're all going only one place, and that's to death. And I know that's something that people don't like talking about. Actually, Achim Brahmi said to me, you know, if you ever give a talk somewhere and you never want them to invite you back, just talk about death the whole time. He says people's like least favorite thing. You know, they'll never invite you back. It's great. It's just you get your free time again. Um, it's the one thing nobody wants to talk about, but it's also the one thing that really unites us. And when you really kind of connect to that. There's also something actually freeing when you kind of get over the fear of the unknown about it. Because what really matters in context to that? Um, you know, people that are dying, if you ever, you know, you did some work in a hospice, if you ever do work in hospices and you talk to people, the things that they're concerned with then in that time period, it's more about the, the connections they've made, the relationships, the love. That's the, that's the stuff they'll bring with them, so to say that you know, we don't know what's going to happen when we die, and yet on some level we know that there's things that are important to really gather deep inside of us. Um, and then there's also things we know that we can kind of let go of and relinquish, more like the material things. So when you really see life as this process, that ultimately you have to let go of everything, including your body, including everything you've ever learned, including your relationship, your house, I mean, you know, talk about a hard time letting go. You know, we spend our whole lives building this life for ourselves, getting a position for ourselves, a name for ourselves, gathering information, being smart, working out. We spend our whole lives creating this me to the best that we can, but it's like a game of Jenga. At the end, you just have to knock it over. And that's it, actually. And when you see things in that context, it really actually creates a bit of freedom in yourself because you see, what's the big deal? Actually, what's the big deal anymore? You don't have to take things that seriously. And you feel free to allow yourself to change more. You allow yourself to be more free in how you do things. You also feel less stressed out because stress has to often do with control. When we're trying to stress things, when we feel stress, it's usually because we are here and there's something that we want to be here that's not. And the distance between those two things is called stress. So having stress is being at war with the present moment. Yeah, think about that. Stress is being at war with the present moment. Whether you're sitting in traffic and you don't want to be in traffic, right? You want the present moment to be different. 
Or we're in this room and a tiger comes in the room, right? This big scary tiger, we all feel stressed, right? We don't want the tiger. So feeling stressed, it's actually that there's something in this moment that you want different. There's something that you want to be changed. That's, that's a different way than you want it to be. And that's actually it, as simple as that. That stress is not fully being accepting the present moment. Thinking something has to be different. And we want to control that. We want to shift that, change that, push that. Destroy things we don't like. Right? You see this on the news a lot. Right? What do countries do to another country? Oh, I'm afraid of you. I'm going to try to destroy you. Oh, there's a person. I'm going to try to destroy that. Try to destroy things we don't like. There's a spider, a mosquito. Try to destroy things that we don't like. Yeah. And that's kind of what the mind does. It tries to get rid of things it doesn't like. And it tries to bring in things that it does like. Right? Um, I was just listening to a podcast, actually. It was, it was fascinating. It was saying how, how animals naturally know how to, um, how to heal themselves, a lot of animals. They, they're talking about some, of the, some monkeys that they have intestinal parasites. And they would take leaves and roll up the leaves and swallow these leaves whole. And the leaves would open up inside of their stomachs and go through the intestinal tracts, and it would kind of be like sandpaper, and it would push out all of the parasites in their intestines. And it said also there's a kind of caterpillar that anytime it had parasites, um, it would eat really high alkaline foods and make its body really high alkaline, that it was almost on the brink of death, but it would thereby kill all the things in its body, and then it would, it's almost like an antibiotic, and then it would kind of stop that and come back. And there's a lot of animals that naturally kind of have this ability. And then they started saying, but also, you know, there's like koala bears who are just stoned all day long because they eat eucalyptus leaves. And eucalyptus leaves actually, like, literally make them stoned. They have, like, a hallucinogenic property. Like, they're just high all day long, koalas. And then they were talking also about um, that there's a, a kind of grass that cows eat that causes the same thing, that cows come in a whole herd of cows, eat this grass, and there's actually cow rehab centers for cows that have become addicted to this kind of grass and need to, like, wean off. They bring them to these special places. And also ant colonies. There's ants that have realized that there's a kind of beetle that it's the same thing. It has like an intoxicating hallucinogenic effect. So there's ants that take these beetles and they kind of keep those beetles in their colonies to keep like drinking. I don't know if this is where beetle juice comes from, right? But they keep kind of drinking the fluids from these beetles. Even to the point that if something happens to the ant's nest, they'll save the larvae of those beetles before they'll save their own larvae sometimes. And they've realized that sometimes an ant colony collapses. It's because the queen starts getting some of this, these drugs, right? It's like, they said it's like beetle meth, right? They start, the, the queen starts getting this, and she stops laying eggs. She just wants to drink this drug from the beetle. And the colony collapses, and they dig up these collapsed ant colonies, and there's just all these beetles because they just want to get high all the time, right? So they're trying to call in. So even animals, even insects, they're trying to bring in the things that make them feel good not necessarily realizing to what, you know, what the karma they're creating is, right? What the effects of that will be. So, um, so looking at things in terms of, you know, calling in what you want um, and trying to push away what you don't want, this is really hard because life is really good at throwing us curveballs. Um, we do get sick. Things happen unexpectedly. There's accidents. There's deaths. Um, any number of millions of things can and does happen every day. That's completely out of our control. We're blindsided by things. And 
on one hand, life is definitely about finding how to skillfully create the right karma for yourself, right? So it's living your life in a way that you're getting the things that really support you. But there's a whole other side of life, and that's really learning how to navigate those things that you didn't really ask for, those things that you didn't necessarily want, or those things that are actually hard for you or painful for you. And to really know that both of those exist. I think Joseph Campbell, he said something about um, that we are unfit to live in this world unless we can fully be present with the, it was something along the lines of with the, the divine horror and the terrible divinity of this realm. Almost saying that wound and bound into the fabric of this incarnation is both inexpressible beauty and joy and also tremendous pain and suffering. And they're both equally there and they're both equally present. And as much as we want one and don't want the other one, that's not always a choice that we have. And what I've realized, so actually when I was in Germany, um, I wrote a poem about this while I was a monk. And the poem, is, it's short. It says, allow the world to touch your heart, to feel a pain it cannot stop, to feel a beauty it cannot keep. Allow the world to touch your heart, to allow your heart to be set free. And it's because I realized for myself that one of the most painful things for me was seeing a beautiful sunset alone. Because it was so beautiful, I really wanted to share it with somebody, but you can't keep that beauty. That beauty is just going to go away. And I felt that pain of not being able to keep beauty. And then I was sitting on my balcony and I was cold and I felt like lonely and I felt like a sad feeling. And then there was this pain and I didn't want that feeling. And it was the same kind of thing that when there's something really beautiful, I feel a pain that I can't keep it. And when I feel something really painful, I feel a pain because it's painful. And I almost saw that because my heart is trying to change things, it's trying to keep a fleeting beauty or it's trying to push away a fleeting pain, my heart was never free. My heart was always tight and closed and bound. And I was always at war. I was always fighting against how things are, the nature of things. And to really allow beauty to touch your heart and to really not feel like you have to keep it. Yeah, my teacher, Achim Brahm, his father died. His father passed away. And he said at his father's funeral, everyone was crying. And he just looked around and he said, you know what? I actually wasn't sad. And he said, it's not, I wasn't sad because it's not that I didn't miss my father. I did, but he said, I wasn't sad because it was as if he had just played this beautiful symphony. The symphony was his life. And he just ended that symphony, and I was just in awe of this beautiful symphony that he had played. And I just felt so honored to have heard that symphony and to have been a part of it and thankful that I got to hear it. And it was this really beautiful and profound statement because he really allowed himself to feel the beauty that he cannot keep and to stay in that place of beauty afterwards. And that's huge. That's huge. So all of these really spiritually developed people that I've met, 
and each one of us has spirituality. We are all part body, part material, and part spirit, right? We're both. If there is no spirit, this body wouldn't move. So we're both. So we're all spiritual beings with physical bodies as well. Yeah, so we're all spiritual beings, but there's people that have developed that spirit, that have really seen what that is and brought that more and more into this world. And a lot of those beings, I see their, their buoyancy is really for this reason. It's because they don't really feel this tightness. They don't feel this stress. They're not trying to control things anymore. They do what they can. They know what to let go of, what they can cultivate, and they know what's out of their control. And then they kind of choose their relationship to those things. And they choose the relationship in a way that at the end of it all, they feel inside of themselves that they're at a place of peace. And even sometimes if it's hard, if it's scary, if it's difficult, yeah, you have to be really courageous. One of the most courageous things you can do in the world right now is to be happy. It's really courageous. Yeah. To really just go for happiness. It's hard. A lot of people will try to stop you. It sounds weird, but it's true. A lot of people... They want to tell you what you should be doing, how you should be feeling, what you should be. Yeah. But actually to be courageous, to face that stuff, to face things open-heartedly and all of the pain that you feel, to allow that to become compassion, to allow that to become empathy, to allow that to become care. Because when you feel that pain of the world, you're experiencing the human condition. You're experiencing the pain that all people, that all beings feel. And you can allow that pain to touch your heart, to transform your heart, to open your heart, to make your heart more soft, more vulnerable, more tender. And you can use that tender heart to connect to all other beings because we're all in it together. We are all in it together. Yeah, and that's really the most important point. And that's also the basis of compassion. So today, during our meditation, yeah, as the rest of this time, as we do our sitting and walking practice. I would really encourage everybody to really just be present with the situation that they're in, to really allow themselves to feel fully, to feel the pains that they cannot stop, and also to feel the beauties that they cannot keep, and to really allow that to touch their heart and allow their heart to be free, to allow everything in the world to be like it is, to rest. Yeah. And there's this really, really amazing old poet, Han Shan. He lived up on Cold Mountain in China. Yeah. And he wrote this beautiful poetry. No one knows who he was. They think maybe he was an escaped convict that went to live and meditate in the mountain. They don't really know where he came from. Very famous. Han Shan is his name. And one of his poems, at the end of it, he says, With a stone for a pillow and the clouds for my blanket, let the world go about its business. Yeah, so imagine this monk lying up on this warm mountain, using this rock as his pillow, the clouds of the sky, he sees them as his blanket covering him, so he's just lying there in the free. Allow the world to go about its business. So really just surrendering to how things are, being a part of that. And that's real peace, when you can really just let things be. So bring this impulse into your meditation today. Yeah. Allow things in. Allow things out. Allow things to be. Don't feel like you have to do anything. The only thing you have to do is to be. Yeah. 
So we get into a position that for us feels comfortable, that feels stable. 